Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Hello and welcome to another fortnightly Bike Radar podcast, which is available on YouTube and on wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, My name is Seb Stott. I'm sat here with Tom Marvin, who's technical editor at Bike Radar and MBUK magazine. And today we're going to be talking about what we do for a living, which is testing bikes. We're going to talk about how we actually go about that because there's a bit more to it than you might imagine. Uh, So we're kind of going to give you some insight into how we actually do that and try and keep it as as fair and objective as we possibly can. Yeah. um, Before we start, though, obviously, don't forget um, to well like and subscribe to this video if you're watching it. And if you're listening to it, then you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, XYZ. Um, we have a new episode every Monday of the Bike Radar podcast, um, whether it's road tech talks, mountain bike tech talks, our Bike Radar meets interview series, and these fortnightly ones as well. So uh, make sure you subscribe to make sure that you get a chance to listen to all of them, I guess. Um, so yeah, so testing bikes is obviously a big part of what we do. Um, bike Radar and MBUK, and as well our road title, uh, Cycling Plus, um, the backbone of each of those really is bike reviews. Yeah, so Tom and myself uh, predominantly test mountain bikes because that's our background. Uh, So we're going to kind of talk about what we do, but uh, what the road guys do um, is broadly similar. So um, if you're more interested in road cycling, then, you know, most of this should be relevant to that as well. Yeah. So how how do we sort of start? How do we... How do we pick the bikes to review? I mean, if we talk about MBUK, bike reviews come in two forms. One as like a first ride, which is generally speaking a slightly shorter, non-scored 
review of a bike. Um, and then the other ones are the bike tests. So these generally are four bikes pitted head to head, so very similar bikes, um, and they get longer reviews, they are scored. Um, and then if we're looking at bike radar, where possible, we'll have full reviews going up. Um, but we also have first rides, say, from launches and things. We'll talk about launches in a different episode um, of the Bike Radar podcast. So this is more about the ones we're doing here in Bristol um, from our own homes. So yeah, how, how do we pick, let's say, first rides? How do, how do we get a first ride? I guess it starts with um, the bikes that are launched. You know, we get press releases through way ahead of uh, when you guys hear about it. So we can kind of sort through those and, and pick the ones that sound interesting and relevant to our readers um and i guess uh, this isn't really my responsibility this is more yours and rob's uh you guys kind of will decide um what and when we want them i I guess the first thing for first rides is that um you almost have to curate the magazine a bit Mm -hmm. so if you've got a bike test of three thousand pound enduro bikes probably not going to have a load of three thousand pound enduro bikes in first rides because you kind of want to make sure that you know not every reader really wants to read about those so with the first rides especially we're trying to give a nice mix of bikes um so it might be an e-bike it might be an xc bike and it might be an entry-level hardtail or you know or whatever sort of the mix is to complement the bike test yeah so um i guess we we try and pick the ones that we think are going to do well that you know that look on paper at least promising or at least interesting yeah yeah and either you know i say either we pick them by you know looking at what's out there or to be honest sometimes a brand will say hey we've got this new bike would you like to try it um and i think that's perfectly yeah we we don't always say yes but Yeah. yeah quite often we do um so with with a comparative test so uh kind of the bread and butter of the magazines and these go up on radar as well bike radar is the the four bike shootout that we call a bike test um so these are usually comparable on travel on intended use and on price so yeah you might have three to three and a half thousand pound enduro bikes for Mm. example um so you'll have to narrow down there are probably 50 bikes out there that fall into that category possibly um so you have to kind of narrow it down so we're kind of taking the bikes that seen like the most interesting seen the most promising or that we haven't tested before in one capacity or another um and call them in uh to be tested uh so we we can't test everything and we quite often get comments that say oh why didn't you test bike x or bike y uh and yeah we would like to be able to test more but in order to kind of get the uh the quality of the testings that you're spending enough time uh, with each bike you've really got to limit the numbers a little bit and uh, yeah, we can't test everything. I'm, I'm sure if we tested bike Y instead of bike X, mm. we'd get comments saying, oh, why didn't you test bike X? Uh, and you know, it's... Um, yeah, it, it can be tricky. And, and sometimes as well, you know, we'll, um, we'll ask for bikes um, from a distributor or, or a brand to test in the test. And, and for whatever reason, you know, they might not want to send it. So, yeah. you know, sometimes if you're thinking, oh, why, why haven't they got that? Then, you know, it, it, yeah. it's either because we haven't asked it because there isn't space to, or because they didn't want to send it. Um, and the reason that they might want to send it can, be, can vary. It might be that they maybe don't have much confidence in, mm-hmm. in the product. They might not have the stock. Product. Or yeah, it might, it, be, it might be the opposite. Be it, might, it might be that they've just sold them all. Yeah. We, we hear that a lot. I yeah. mean, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it's not always entirely true, but quite often it's like, yeah, we've sold all those bikes. We don't need to 
you know, we don't need to have it reviewed because, you know, we're, we're selling them all. Um, I think the other sort of aspect in terms of picking the bikes we're testing that has changed um, over the past year or two. And, you know, I, again, I think it's, uh, I don't think there's any point in sort of hiding it is that um, a lot of our reviews do go on to bikeradar.com, obviously mm-hmm. our website. Um, and, you know, websites live or die by the traffic. Um, and you can research what bikes are interesting to our readers. And so there is not all the time at all, yeah. but to some extent there is an aspect of, well, you know, this bike here, it has far less people searching for it. Yeah. So, you know, we have a limited amount of resource to test bikes. You know, there's a limited number of people who can do it and there's a limited time in which we can do it. And so in some times, in some aspects of, of the way we're looking at it, we have to prioritize those that are going to be more interesting to more of our readers. Yeah, that's true. Um, although that is not always the case, as you say. Like sometimes we will pick a niche bike that nobody's heard of, that nobody's googling. You know, mm. the, the SEO numbers, in other words, are really poor. But we think it's interesting, and so you know, we'll we'll talk about it, and hopefully, people will become interested in it. Mm. Um, it's, it's good to give that sort of context um, across the industry as well. I think that there are a lot of smaller brands out there who don't have the. Oh yeah, you know, not everyone is as big as Canyon Giant Trek Specialized. You know, you've got some real small brands who are doing incredible things, and, and you know, we really want to be able to. We, we want to try them because we're interested in bikes, but yeah, also, yeah. you know, it, it's great maybe for those brands to say hey you know we you know we can get a bike into a test yeah and quite honestly often it's uh it's just a case of you know you you hear about a bike from from wherever um and you think that looks really interesting i want to call that in you you maybe you've never even heard of the brand before but you know you'll go on their website you'll find an email and you'll send them an email saying do you want to send us a bike to test because you know i i want to ride it because it, you know it's really interesting and that and that's happened quite a few times yeah um, and then, you know, to a certain extent that, you know, that, that makes that bike popular or it makes, it gives that bike, a um, a foot, a foothold, yeah, a platform. And then people are searching for it. So it's kind of a self fulfilling thing. It kind of happens both ways to a certain extent. Yeah. Okay. So let's assume that we've got, um, let's say we're doing a bike test. We've got our four bikes. Um, what are the next what are the next sort of steps? We obviously the bikes get sent to our workshop, uh, and our workshop manager will um, will take them out of the boxes. He'll build them up, make sure they're all good to go, um, weigh them, um, that sort of thing. So we've got you know our own weights for each of these bikes, yeah. um, and then generally speaking, we'll head into centre of Bristol and pick up some bikes and take them home. Yeah. So um, yeah, the first thing that we'll do um, between us is uh, measure them up. So it starts with the weight, you know, because people are very interested in that. Uh, So if we have uh, four bikes for bike test, they'll all be the same size. Uh, So you can compare weight. You can also compare geometry. And um, obviously, manufacturers will all have a pretty comprehensive geometry chart nowadays. But um, in our experience, the measurements that we do don't always tally up very well with a geometry chart. Uh, for all sorts of reasons, uh, for example, if effective seat angle is a really important measurement, um, and there are lots of different ways of measuring it, mm. um, but we measure it in the same way every time. Um, How do you measure it? So, so, so I set my seat height to the height that height. I actually ride at. So, it, so it's the actual is the seat angle that I actually experience when I'm riding, mm. and then measure from the bottom bracket to the top of the seat post. Um, and then it's kind of personal to me 
because the effective seat angle changes slightly depending on the height of your mm. seat post, but at least it's consistent yeah. among all the bikes. And then other things like uh, I'll measure the reach, I'll measure the chainstay length, the bottom bracket height, um, all these things, uh, the head angle. Um, and again, like a lot of these measurements vary quite a lot compared to the manufacturer. I've quite often had bikes with a head angle that's one degree or more different to what the manufacturer says it is. Uh, weights, as we all know, can be much higher sometimes than the manufacturer says, if the manufacturer says at all. Um, and the other one I've, I've measured, uh, started measuring recently is, is rear wheel travel. Mm -hmm. So basically um, turning the bike upside down so that the axles are level, measuring the height of the axle from the rear axle from the floor, and then deflating the shock, ratchet strapping uh, the suspension so that it's fully compressed and then measuring the height again, taking the difference. And that's the vertical rear wheel travel. Mm. Um, it's quite a faff. And uh, most bikes measure up roughly how they're meant to, but occasionally we've had bikes that measure up with much less travel than advertised. And that's really interesting to know because it explains why you know, the bike, or oh, the this bike really pedals really well for a 160 mil travel bike, but it's a bit you know it's choking up a bit on certain types of impact and mm. you know it makes an awful lot of sense if it doesn't have 160 mil of travel it has much less um so so that's a really interesting one to measure um and i think the more of these kind of hard numbers you can get down the better because as we'll cover in a moment like bike testing is uh has a lot of subjectivity mm. about it has a lot of personal preference a lot but of if variability you, <clears throat> a lot of variability but if you can nail down those concrete numbers as best you can that's a really good start at least starts to give you context for what you might be feeling later on when you start riding them. Totally, yeah, yeah. So if we've got all our measurements down, um, you know, it does take quite a while to do it, and, and you know, it's a, quite a faff. Yeah, you, know, you got to, you know, for MBUK we're looking at wheel weights as well, individual wheels. Yeah. Um, you know, whether you've got to measure the rim widths internally if it's like a non-branded rim, for example. There's actually yeah. a lot of, you know, you can spend, you know, a couple of good couple of hours doing all this. I. I'd say for a bike test, it takes me most of a day to measure up all the bikes, to build them up, to set them up to my preferences as well. So you're setting bar roll, mm -hmm. brake lever, uh, brake lever angle, all those things, and then measuring them up. That takes a day. Mm. Um, and that's on top of the, the the time it can take to organize. You know, like the, you, we don't just get a bike to test. It's There's a lot of pre-work done yeah. in order to get hold of them. Yeah, I mean, world's smallest violin going on, you know. It's, yeah. it's, 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 we're, we're not just riding bikes every day. Uh, no, we've got to email people to ask them for bikes to ride. Yeah, yeah. Um, we should probably also say that these bikes are borrowed. If that's mm. not obvious, uh, we don't pay for them. Uh, they come in a box. We ride them for sometimes a couple of weeks, sometimes a couple of months. Sometimes we have, well, we also have long-term test bikes that we t uh, keep for a year. But generally speaking, we'll have them for a couple of months and then we'll clean them, we'll put them back to factory spec if we've changed anything mm -hmm. and we'll send them back. So so these are a loan. Um, it's not yeah. really, it's and not It's not a favor. It's not something we've paid for. Mm. It's it's just a, a loan of a bike and, and pretty much all bike companies will, will loan us a bike. So we're not kind of biased towards any one because all of them will by and large, are pretty willing to send yeah. us bikes for, for a loan. So, And this is how it works across the, you know, if you look at our colleagues at, you know, MBR or Single Track or any of the other magazines, it, it's all, we're all doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah. So so bikes, uh, bike brands will have a fleet of um, media bikes. Yeah, or yeah, it'll so, come from a demo fleet. Yeah, it's often uh, the same thing. But I think big brands will have 
you know, media bikes, which are, you know, in theory at least, just normal production bikes that are earmarked for media, and they will go to maybe two or three. Uh, most of the bikes we have are box fresh, like never been ridden, but occasionally, you know, they'll they'll be uh, ridden by someone else. Sometimes we'll send them directly to the next media publication. Yeah. Sometimes we'll so, get them from them. So yeah, it's it's a very common thing. Uh, just in case that wasn't obvious, yeah, they're yeah. They're, they're loans. Uh, we don't own them. So yeah, so we've um, we've got the bikes in. We've done all our measurements um, and that sort of thing. And then I guess like the the next obvious thing to do with the bike once you've measured it up is where we go and ride them. And as you sort of talked about in you know the measuring of them, for example, the weighing or this is to get some hard data down and to keep things as consistent as possible. Obviously, we've got to set these. Well, I guess before we ride them properly, we've got to set up all the suspension. Yeah, uh, not just the suspension, also things like bar height and uh, all those things that we mentioned. Um, yeah, so, so we're trying to do that as consistently as possible, aren't we? But, um, being consistent is not always as, as easy as, as it sounds. So for example, I might start with say 30% sag in the shock and get the rebound so that it just comes up and just overshoots the sag point. And then that's quite a good baseline. But then, uh, whether it makes sense to do that for every single bike is not necessarily the case. Like you might want to have a bit more sag with one bike if it's really progressive or a bit less. So then you start from that base point, go for a couple of rides, and then you might start to adjust it. Mm. Uh, basically, um, I think we're trying to we're sort of trying to optimize it. We're trying to optimize the setup for the bike. Yeah. Within reason, obviously, we're not going to go and like buy a new fork, but mm. um, but you know we we want to get the bike set up so that it works at its best because exactly, yeah. a that's not fair on the comp you know the brand if we don't, and also yeah. you know we we want to test the bike to its fullest potential. Yeah, and our readers don't want to read a review that says I set it to thirty percent sag, and it was really wallowing it bottomed out all the time. Mm one star you know well, that's, that's not a useful review it's like what would happen if it had 25 percent sag or, or whatever uh so we try our best to kind of optimize it as we would if we owned the bike mm. um and then sometimes i'll change things like um fit a shorter stem or a longer stem or different grips or if something's bothering you like oh i really don't get on with these grips then again that's not that useful for the reader mm -hmm. so you know we'll change the grips and then see how it rides and sometimes we'll change the tires uh, quite often I swap the tires between bikes so that so I've tested them all with all the same tires. Um, so there's quite a lot of, you know, even before we get into the nitty gritty of actually testing, testing the bikes to really sort of get, you know, the real differences between each of them. There is, there's a lot of, of, of setting up and riding to be done beforehand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then once we sort of, let, let's assume now that we're actually happy with how the bikes are, consistency is really key. Um, as much as possible. If we're if we're comparing bikes, you you've got to try and keep everything as standardized as possible. So, you know, for example, if I'm going to go and um, I'm doing a cross country bike test at the moment. So, if I go testing my cross country bikes, I've got all of those four bikes or however many I've got with me, uh, got available. I've got them all with me at the same time, and it might mean that I don't go for a big day ride to start with during the testing at the very least, but I'll go for three or four shorter rides, mm. all on the same day, um, all on the same track as well. Yeah. Um, and that's so that it, it actually becomes a lot easier and a lot more efficient to test a bike on a shorter lap that's repeated than it is to go, you know, I could spend four days and go on four big rides and learn, to be honest, as much or maybe even a little bit less than going on four short loops, one straight after the other, because it's that repeated, you know, 
half an hour ago, I was riding this bike, half an hour later, I'm riding that bike. And it's very easy to start seeing those differences when you're doing that back-to-back -back stuff. Yeah, I, I think it's impossible to overstate how important that is to do the the, the direct comparison, the back-to-back, uh, the, the -back, because I think I, quite often I've ridden a bike for days on end and learned very little about it mm. because you get used to it. Like your body adapts, you forget what it's like to ride another bike. Uh, and you you just learn to ride it yeah. how it how it is. It's only when you go direct back to back and then back again yeah. that you that you start to think right. Okay, these are the differences. This one feels so much more responsive, or mm. this one feels so much more confidence inspiring on the descents, or this one feels so much smoother through that section. Yeah. Uh, and if you hit the same rock garden within half an hour of each other, within half an hour of each other, sometimes using uplifts, mm. particularly if it's like long travel bikes, we use an uplift so that you can hit the same rock garden again and again, several times in a day. Um, and then you really start to notice, right, that is a definite difference that I noticed. And it wasn't just, oh, that rock garden felt a bit rock, a bit rougher than I expected, but well, it could be anything. It's, it's like, right, okay, did it on three bikes and it was fine, did it on the fourth bike and, you know, much less comfortable or or whatever it is and if that starts to happen consistently then you can say yeah this bike is doing something different in that section yeah. and, th and then you might want to go back to the setup and be like oh well maybe my fork's not set up right or whatever but then once you've kind of tweaked that and optimized that then you can start to say something about go back again how the bike performs and i think on that sort of consistency thing of not only riding the bikes on the same little lap over and over again is that actually riding the same lap regardless not regardless of what you're doing but you know i ride the same trails within a certain grouping all the time like trail bike yeah. of the year for example i will ride the same track on every single bike and well the same two or three tracks on every single bike in yeah. two or three different locations because they're locations i know really well so i'm not thinking about what's around the corner how do i hit this jump what you know what's that sort of rock garden like i know exactly what i've got to do to get through it fast or however it is so it means you can concentrate on actually what's happening with the bike. You're not thinking about what you're doing on the bike. Yeah, yeah, totally. So it is, you know, obviously there's it's it's really enjoyable testing bikes. Yeah. But there's there's you know take take bike park Wales for example. There's a route down bike park Wales that I would say for the past two years, every time I've gone to bike park Wales, I've just ridden those three tracks in a row. Yeah. And it's amazing for consistency. Yeah, I've ridden three or four. There's three or four tracks at Bike Park Wales that I've ridden uh, a few hundred times each. Mm. And I know them like the back of my hand. Mm -hmm. That means that, you know, you're not spending time learning the track. You just get on, mm -hmm. start riding. And it's like, oh, this feels different because yeah. of X, Y, Z. Um, I think important as well, it's worth saying that we don't, you know, if we're doing a bike test, it's not one day's worth of, of repeated riding. We will go and ride those bikes in different places. So, you know, like I might hit that one route down bike park wells on virtually all the test bikes I'm testing. But say, for example, I've got, you know, trail bike of the year, you know, we'll talk about that because that's coming up. Um, some of the bikes maybe are the more aggressive end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it's probably fairer to make sure that they're tested, not only on that consistent track, but also on tracks that I also know that suit a slightly more aggressive bike. At the same time, you know, within trail bike of the year, you have some bikes that are perhaps of a more cross country sort of bent to them so you take them down that one set of tracks at bike park but then i'll also make sure that i'm testing them in tracks that really suit that bike because ultimately we want to get the best out of the bikes yeah so we're, yeah we're, we're we're riding them to what they're intended to do but mm. we're, we're pushing them hard mm. to to see how they perform like there, there are certain tracks 
which show up the differences between bikes better than others. Mm. Uh, so we we are kind of biased towards those tracks that that really make you uh, push the bikes and make them uh, kind of separate them. Mm. Uh, but we'll also take them for kind of longer rides. Like, I mean, we both ride for fun as well. Yeah, Obviously, we, we ride at the weekend, and you know, if you've got a bike test on, you'll you'll you know, a few weekends will be on those bikes probably. Yeah. Um, the other thing that we we sort of try and do is, and it, it's difficult. You know, it, generally it's one person writing a bike test. Um, but certainly for some of the bigger tests and, and maybe where bikes are a little bit more ambiguous as to what they are or aren't good at or pros and cons, where possible, we also give the bikes to our colleagues to get additional feedback if possible. Mm-hmm. Um, because having, you know, while it's very important to keep consistency in your testing, getting other opinions from, you know, a broader spectrum of riders, again, just gives you that little bit of insight that you might not have already seen or you might have missed. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I'm... Uh... I'm quite tall, so I'm on XL bikes, and so it's harder for me to to do that. But for you guys, mm. you know, you have more people of similar height. That that makes a big difference. Mm. So, if we assume then that we've we've done most of the riding that we're going to do on the bikes, you know, we've done three or four days of of back to back riding in various locations, having set up the bikes, we've done all our measurements. I guess then we we sort of start writing. Yeah, which. You know, it's, it's still involved in the bikes, so it's not like we just sort of leave the bikes at home and then and we never see them again. We, or back in the workshop or whatever, like for me at least, writing a bike test is, um, you spend a lot of time with the bikes, you know, you, you head back out to the garage having a look, look at, oh, what, what is it on that? What is it on that? You know, like it's... Yeah, and sometimes you'll be writing, a, be in the middle of writing a bike test and you'll be like, oh, I'm not actually sure about that. And you'll go back out, mm-hmm. maybe ride it again, yeah. come back to writing and... Quite often have like notes on, you know, if you're out riding, for example, I'll take my phone along and you know, you end up writing yeah. notes. Like the other day I was riding a bike, I was like, Bloody hell, the saddle on this is really slippery. Yeah. You know, which is something I'd noticed. But you, you wouldn't necessarily notice that if, if I just pulled that bike out of the garage. But I noticed it because I was riding up a climb and compared to the bike before, my, my butt was slipping all over the saddle. Yeah. But then you can often forget which bike it was that you had that problem. So you've got to like, at the end of each lap, get your phone out. I've got like a spreadsheet, mm. a copy and paste for all the bike tests. And then I'll have like uh, the climb, the descent, the whatever, whatever it is. And I'll just fill in like fill in that spreadsheet mm. with the notes uh, from the from the loop and then go back out on another bike. And then you'll look back at that and then you'll have all the sort of notes, the yeah. field notes as you go and kind of write it from that. That makes it an awful lot easier to write. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, well, oh, and then well, obviously the big thing that you'll see if you you know if you are reading a review is the photos. Um, yeah. So part of the process of of writing the bike test and, and all this is that we get involved with the photo shoots, um, and that in itself is it's quite an interesting day, I reckon. Yeah, and I mean the the photos are not you know just photos of us out for a ride testing the bikes. It's like you know we arrange a photo shoot, get them shot all at once. Um, quite often before we've really started testing them. So while the bikes are still, you know, stock and... Relatively fresh looking. Relatively fresh looking. Uh, quite often get comments that say, oh, the bike's really clean, you've obviously not ridden it. Or sometimes, you know, we'll do the photo shoot and then spend a month riding them. Yeah, or sometimes if you... you and know, then, but if, if we shoot them at the end, yeah. you get comments saying, oh, it's really muddy, can't see can't, it. Can't see it. Uh, it's, yeah. a, it's a lose-lose. Yeah. But this is, so the shoot, you know, we'll, we'll rock up um, with a couple of riders um, and, you know, kit that isn't black. 
because black kit generally looks pretty crap in photos. Um, a photographer will be there. We, we usually then take what we call a pack and detail set of photos. And this is the that side on and three quarters on shot of the whole bike. Um, and then detail shots, which is what we use to illustrate, you know, bits of the review we're talking about. Um, and then, yeah, it's a series of individual bike shots of us riding them or whoever's along riding them and some group shots as well. Um, usually, usually flashed, um, but not always. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty fun day out, I reckon. Yeah, it's quite good doing a photo shoot. Unless it's chucking down with rain and it's really cold. Yeah. And when you have to do, um, a jump for like the 12th time without doing a funny face (laughs) while you're in the air, like riding a bike in the air while someone's taking a photo of you and you're like, oh, better pull it, better better smile. (laughs) Got got it, got a smile and not... Not like puff out your cheeks and have a, like a red beetroot face. Okay. I think this is a, a problem uniquely ours, though, Seb. Like everyone else seems to manage it pretty well, but you That's and me. True, yeah, yeah. You I do, do struggle of... with photo shoots. Yeah. I think I look like a bit of a noob. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I like I forget how to ride when there's a photo of a, a camera. What have they got? A camera. They've got po- cameras, yeah. Pointed at me. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not an oil painting, is it? <laughs> no. Um, I think some of the best photos, though, are those when you. When you look really like I, I always sort of found back in the what mountain bike days, RIP. It's my old magazine that sadly closed. Um, and as you know, a lot of photos, you know, the ones where I was terrified or really out of control tended to be the best photos. Whereas the ones where yeah. he's you know super composed, you're riding super composed, and you looks you know you just look I don't know you look a bit bored on the bike. Yeah, because you, you've probably done that same exact corner or jump or rock garden like a twenty times, times yeah. and it's like. Yeah, you're not out of control. You're just kind of pretending to be a bit rad. Yeah. But that's the nature of like setting up a shot, getting the framing right, getting the flash, getting the light right. Mm. You can't it, you can't just sort of ad lib it mm. too much, which which is difficult. Whereas if you have like race photos, they always look really rad because you're you're just riding your bike. Yeah, flat out. Yeah. But then when you come to do a photo shoot, it's quite hard to recreate that. You I always overthink it too much and oh, I end massively, up just riding yeah. riding like a chopper. It's the same with, with mountain biking generally, isn't it? It's the key is not to overthink yeah. it. And I think again on the on the in terms of sort of the feedback, that you know, photo shoots are can be at times a really good way to get additional feedback because quite often or not, it's not sort of the core testing team who are riding the bikes. And yeah, you know, people yeah, like you know whether else. it's Ed Thompson who does a bit of testing for us, but not bike tests. He'll come on a lot of shoots, or even random people who don't work for us will come you know, on a freelance basis and and be in photos. And yeah, you can get some real interesting insights. Yeah, and the other thing that's interesting to me is photos and particularly videos. If you watch videos of yourself riding, uh, it's really interesting to see what you're doing mm-hmm. and what the bike's doing. Um, particularly when you're riding flat out and you kind of notice what your body position is like and all that could be improved. And but also you look at what the bike's doing and how the suspension is acting and on all those things. That, that's sometimes quite insightful, actually, yeah. to be able to see to see it back. Yeah. And so, yeah, there we go. I think once the photos are taken, the words are written, obviously it goes through sort of various editorial processes. So um, our technical, senior technical editor, Rob Weaver, will always have a read. Um, it'll get subbed, so our, our words will be reshaped into proper, proper good words um, by our the good um, words, the good words by our, our sort of uh, sub editors. Is that what they're called? Production yeah. editors. There we go. Yeah. Um, and that's how you know the magazine side of it all gets done um, to make it look good and proper. Yeah. Um, and they'll often come back with questions. So you know, if you've written something which either doesn't quite make sense or needs a bit of clarification. 
because um, it's quite easy, you know, when you get a bit bogged down and get you a bit, you know, in a bit of a headspace about the bikes, it's easy to forget that you've ridden them all, but who you're trying to communicate the bike review to, they haven't. So there might be bits of context that get mis missed. Yeah, yeah. So that's really, yeah, there's there's a safety net mm. of um, from what you write to what people read of, of people who will go through it and really know what they're doing um, yeah. and will will make it, tweak it so it makes more sense to everyone. I'd say the other sort of probably important point is, you know, if, if we've had a bike that has unexpectedly performed particularly badly mm -hmm. um you know we, we have bikes ideally at least months in advance of our deadline um it ideally, <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. doesn't always happen but where, where possible it will happen but it gives us the you know it's called due diligence so if you've had a bike or even a product that hasn't performed as it should do or how you expect it it gives you the chance to talk to the the manufacturer to the brand to ask them you know why is it not done that or what's the reasoning behind this um, sometimes um, it'll be a you know like a, a faulty product or bike, and we'll have time to get another one in to give it a fair assessment. Um, it's very, I think it is important to give that right of reply. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but that doesn't mean that we, you know, just say what they no. say. It's um, we're not going to sort of tow their company line on products. If something's bad, we'll say it's bad. Oh, there's yeah. no there's no pressure to say otherwise. But um, yeah, and we have done in the past many times. Yeah, but it's um, yeah. At the same time, we're not going to ruin someone's business for you know flippantly, yeah, or carelessly. It you know you've got to really make sure that you're um, that you're doing the right thing and what you're saying is objectively true. Yeah. True. And that's that's true at the other end of the spectrum when you're saying something is really positive. Mm. Like, we sh we have to be really careful about saying, giving something a five-star review mm. because that's recommending that someone goes out and spends however much money, could be thousands of pounds on a bike. And, it, you know, if we've not been really careful, that's that's a really yeah. uh, dangerous thing to do. So, yeah, it's we, we we're really careful with the negative reviews to make sure we're not saying something that's unfair, but we're, we're equally careful, I think, with the really positive reviews because people will buy bikes on a recommendation, yeah. and We've we, reduced, we don't want to do that um, without you know being careful about it. Yeah, we definitely have a, a duty to our readers to give accurate, truthful representations of what we're experiencing. Totally, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and it, it's fair to say that you know reviews are always going to be a, a tricky thing to. You know, you, you can't put a scientific number on how good something is all the time. You know, and there is an element of, Absolutely, yeah. you know, like some people like slightly different things. And I think the important thing with the communication of, of a review is that you communicate why you've liked it yeah. and who it might suit. Because there might be bikes that, you know, like, you know, we we, we talked about um, if we talk about super long bikes, for example, I'm, I'm I'm not the biggest fan of like a Geometron. You yeah. know, super super long, super slack bikes. They're not for me, but I I recognize that actually for the right person and the right style of riding, they're very, very good. So it would be remiss of me to give, say, the Geometron a a negative review, even though I wouldn't personally go out and buy one. Yeah, similarly, it would be remiss of me to say, oh, this is brilliant, everyone should have one, mm -hmm. just because I like it. Yeah, um, so it's the context of why you like it and who it's going to be good for that's very important within a review. Yeah, definitely, yeah. That's why it's not just a score, thumbs up or a thumbs down, and that's the end. It's like, yeah, you've got to... You've got to communicate. You've got to explain it. yourself. So yeah, is that? I think that's probably a 
a reasonable amount of info on how we test. Yeah, that's pretty pretty detailed, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, if you if there is any sort of more questions or comments on on the process, like and you're watching on YouTube, for example, do post um, in the comment section. We'll do our best to reply where we can. Yeah, um, but yeah. You can tell us that we're all shills and that we're uh, paid to say nice things. Uh, if it was, man, oh, be we'd, great, be, we'd be absolutely loaded, wouldn't we? Yeah. <laughs> but sadly. Um, but yeah, let us know in the comments. Um, and yeah, as we mentioned earlier on in the video, um, links to subscribe to the podcasts are in the video description. Um, or you can go on to your podcast provider, um, iTunes, Spotify, um, and many others, and an increasing number of others. Uh, do click subscribe. Um, we have podcasts every Monday um, and we have occasional other ones as well uh, little treats for you um, so you won't miss those if you are subscribed yeah yeah well thank you for listening that's it thanks thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast if you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling check out bikeradar.com bye